There we go. All right, Revelation chapter 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. <clears throat> and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And from the throne I heard a loud voice that said, Look, God's dwelling is with people. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain because the former things have passed away. The one who was seated on the throne said to me, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, write, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To anyone who is thirsty, I will give freely from the spring of the water of life. The one who overcomes will inherit these things. I will be his God, and he will be my son. But those who are cowardly, unbelieving, detestable, murderers, adulterers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars will have their share in the lake, burning with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls that were filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. He said, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He carried me away in spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It had the glory of God. Its radiance is similar to every precious stone, like crystal clear jasper. It has a large high wall. It has 12 gates. 12 angels are at the gates, and 12 names are engraved on the gates. The names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Three gates are on the east, three are on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The city's wall also has 12 foundations, and on them are the 12 names of the Lord's 12 apostles. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod so he can measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length and width are equal. He measured the city with a measuring rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. He also measured its wall by human measurement, which was what the angel used, 144 cubits. The wall is made of jasper, and the city is pure gold, like pure glass. The foundations of the city's wall had been adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation is jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth ox, the sixth ruby, the seventh diamond, the eighth beryl the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise. <clears throat> the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates are the twelve pearls. Each of the gates is made out of one pearl, and the street of the city is pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God has given it light and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. There is no day when its gates will be shut for there will be no night in that place. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Nothing that is unclean and no one who does what is detestable or who tells lies will ever enter it but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay. So 
another chapter begins with John saying, then I saw. So what that's, every time he said that, it's the beginning of a new vision. Uh, so here, he's talking about a new heaven and a new earth. What's, what does that mean? So think of, we use the word heaven to be where God and his saints and angels are dwelling. But the way that John is using the word heaven here is the sky, the earth and the heaven, the sky. So what is he talking about? On judgment day, what's going to happen to the earth and the sky? Yeah, they become one and it's all destroyed, all destroyed. That we see elsewhere, like in first Peter, uh, or Second Peter, that uh, it seems like everything is burned up. And then just like you would have, say, a forest fire. Well, what happens a few years after the forest fire? Everything's, Everything's new. And sometimes you have to have those things to have new growth because you get like invasive species and things like that. And things aren't growing so well anymore. And you see we're living in a sinful world. Things aren't growing so well. So everything is burned up and then everything is made new. And then it sounds like, you know, we talked about going up to heaven to be with the Lord, but now it seems like heaven is here on earth. It's earth and heaven are one. And it says there is no, there's no sea. Why is that a comfort to God's people? Think about how, how terrifying the sea would be for first century people. Why? The flood? Well, not so much the flood, but just. Yeah, yeah the vastness. Uh, that the sea is terrifying. You know, they don't have the kind of ships that we have. It's easy to be shipwrecked and so forth in the storms in the Mediterranean Sea. You know, a big cruise ship and so forth. And so there's no. That was for you guys. Uh, there, there's no, uh, there's no worry about those kind of things. It's there is no no sea, and we've seen later that there is a sea, but it's smooth like glass. Uh, the the new city of Jerusalem. Why is that important? That imagery of the new Jerusalem. Okay. And it's brand new, but why Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem was the place where God dwelt, right? In the temple. And now this is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Uh, some people that are saved will one day believe that Jesus is mm -hmm. Lord, but even the Israelites. Most don't. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not talking about that it's necessarily going to be the new Jerusalem. It's talking, you know, there in Israel. It's talking about a, a brand new Jerusalem. And we're going to see how big this Jerusalem is. It's not going to fit in Israel. Okay. Uh, 
And from the throne, I heard a loud voice say, look, God's dwelling is with people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will be their God. Is God with you now? How is he with you? Spirit? What else? Word? Sacrament? Okay, good Lutheran answers, yeah. Where two or three are gathered, what does it say? Okay, do you see him? No. But what does John say he sees? He sees God. God is dwelling with his people so that his people see God. Okay, so God is with us. Uh, and as, as you said, where two or three are gathered, he's with us in word and sacrament. Uh, and the great comfort that Jesus gives his apostles when he sends them out is, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So because we are like him now, that's why we can see him. Because when we are not, mm. we can't see him because they say he's just, yeah. we can't look at him, he's too bright. Why I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, so I, I think what you're talking about is like with, Moses, God says, you know, Moses, I want to see you on Mount Sinai. And God says, you can't see me. You can see the back of me as I pass by, but yeah, I'm too holy. I had never thought of it that way. I just always took at it that we would be holy and now we can see God. I think that's a good way of looking at it. But the way I've always taken is that, you know, here, uh, well, this is going to be the epistle lesson for Lloyd's funeral on on Monday, uh, it's from 1 Corinthians 13. So we always end 1 Corinthians 13 as that's always the wedding verses. You know, this is what love is and love is not. But the text that Krista chose for her husband's funeral, it's those verses after it is, you know me in part now, then you will know me in full. And there, I, that's why I always took is we'll know God in full. And so we'll be able to see him. I thought, now I'm getting a little confused with that because Rose um, and I were talking um, somewhere now I wish maybe she would remember that even though we are changed and we're ho holy, yeah. I guess we can say we're holy then. It's hard to say that. We are. We will be holy. Simple. But um, because he is holy and so bright, we can see three persons in one. We can see Jesus, mm -hmm. but because he is so bright, we can't, we see him through like glass. We were discussing that. And now I'm getting confused because that's not like what this is saying. Yeah. So I guess that doesn't matter. Well, it does, you're right. Elsewhere it says that we see him darkly right now. You know, that we're kind of, and one of our members just had uh, cataract surgery. You know, so for 20 years, he's had this huge cataract. The doctor couldn't believe it was so big. And just seeing darkly it. Uh, that's the way my mom sees all the time. She can't see very well. She's legally blind because you got that cataract. That's the way scripture says that we see Jesus now darkly. But there, you know, the cataracts, all of that will be removed and we can see him fully. We'll see him as he is. Is this the time when our physical bodies are put back together? Yes. Reassembled? Yeah. And notice how does scripture describe heaven? Look at verse four. 
a lot of times we we like to say, well, what's going to be there and so forth. But scripture doesn't say necessarily what's going to be there and what it's going to be like. More it's what's not going to be there exactly. There will be no more tears or death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of that's gone. That's what heaven is like. Everything that brings us sorrow and tears here and pain, it's gone. So focus on that more so than what we think might be there. If there's going to be our pets there or whatever. There will be many rooms. There will be many rooms. Yeah. Well, if you want to take a break, you can go to your room. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then he, he says, uh, I am the alpha and the omega at the beginning and the end. What's important about alpha and omega? Yeah, it's the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. So Bell and I were just having this conversation this morning uh, as we were waiting for the bus. The podcast I was listening to was talking about generations. So I'm generation X, she's generation Z, the one in between us is millennials. But she brought up that the one that's after her, they're going to be, they're like 11 on down, that they're uh, generation alpha. And I just laughed. I said, that is awful because they're going to be wimps. Okay. Why would you call them alpha? Alpha strong, you know, alpha male, leader. Jesus is the leader. And that's not the generation we're raising right now. But that's who Jesus is. Uh, verse, end of verse six. Why is that verse so important for us in our church? Well, to anyone who is thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Why is that verse so important? That's one of the key verses that we used in the Bible study on the name of our church. That when we named our church and we gave all of the members the opportunity, uh, do you remember the, the criteria? The criteria was we want something that is biblical but also something that's local and the people came up with and, and also unique. That was the third thing because Epiphany and New Hope were unique names. So we wanted something unique. Epiphany were the only one. We're the only one. New Hope, there were two in the wells. And then, so we chose water of life. The other two that were chosen were root of life because of the root river and river of life because of the root river and then we chose water of life because you've got that includes then the river the springs and lake michigan and the water of life it it has that imagery of baptism uh, when you see the logo and you think of that you see that drop you right away you think of baptism the water of life uh here and elsewhere in scripture that god pictures heaven as if you're thirsty I'll give you water, my word, my salvation, and you, it won't cost you anything. It's free. Uh, so contrast the way Christians will live in eternity with the way unbelievers will live compared to verses five through eight. Are 
Yeah. We're going to be in the new city of Jerusalem where anytime we're thirsty, we get the water of life. They're going to be where in hell, where remember in Jesus' story of uh, the rich man in hell, that he asked for Lazarus to come out just to put a drop of water on his tongue. So this is a reminder for us that we need to be faithful to our calling because uh, we don't want to be on the other side. And then we look at the new Jerusalem uh, or uh, Jerusalem, the golden. And Paul Patterson and I have a running uh, argument, a fun one, of which version of Jerusalem, the golden, we're going to be singing in heaven. You know, he likes the Ewing version that was in the red hymnal. And I like the, the Thaxted version that I'm going to guess is in the new hymnal. I'm not sure. We have to look later on if. Both versions are in the hymnal. I'm not sure. Maybe Tim can find that for us so we can have a good answer. There's a whole church full of hymnals in the other room. There you go. Um, so here it's looking at the gates of the 12 tribes of Israel. Indicate what? Who's going to be in this, in this new Jerusalem? All the believers. So this is just another image of all of the believers together. So the schism that divided the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So that schism happened when after King Solomon died, his son took over and his he didn't listen to his his father's advisors and keep taxes low. Say, so listen to the young advisors and they said, oh, just raise the taxes. Well, how do you think the people reacted? They, they got pretty upset and they said, fine, we're not going to be your people anymore. And they split 10 tribes, just said, we're done. And they picked a new king. And that was the northern kingdom of Israel. And then you had the southern kingdom of Judah. Now they're all together, all 12 tribes. Uh, the fortified city is secure. But why can the gates be left open? You usually have gates for what reason? Yeah, there are no, not going to be any unbelievers, no more enemies left. Uh, and now the angels who excluded Adam and Eve from paradise can now welcome them into the new paradise. And we'll see that uh, in chapter 22. What is the, what is this, the new city built on? Verse 14. We'll get to those later, but verse 14. What is the foundation? 12 of 12 apostles, meaning what? What is the foundation of how we get to heaven? To the word. All right, verse 15, a measuring rod. So think of just a rod, or today we would take you know a yardstick, okay? Uh, and we saw this earlier in chapter 11, and we've seen this, again, all of these images in revelation are also elsewhere in scripture and so the measuring rod was used in ezekiel chapter 40 uh, we'll talk about the measuring then is twelve thousand stadia so you, you look at the bottom of your page how long a stadia would be they yeah they don't convert it uh and the reason is it would be about 1,400 miles. 
but 1400 miles doesn't mean anything. 1200 means something because it's, it, it's symbolic imagery. That 12 is what? What does the number of 12 mean? Yeah, 12. The, the apostles, the prophet, or the tribes of Israel, it's the number of God's people. And then you multiply tens times 10 times 10 to get a thousand. And then you have the number of completeness. So 12,000 stadia. But if you would convert it to miles, which I did, 1,400 miles, that would be from Jacksonville, Florida to El Paso, Texas to Spokane, Washington to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, that's a big area, 1,400 miles. But notice this is a 1,400 mile cube. So now you got to go up 1,400 miles. So if you're a Star Trek fan, like the Borg, you've got this, this cube. Uh, but the reason it's pictured as a cube is because that was this that was the holy of holies in the tabernacle and in the temple that only the high priest could enter once a year. It was a perfect cube. And that was the picture of where God dwelt in the holy of holies. And now it's saying we are being able to dwell in the holy of holies where we will see God face to face. And then the 12 precious stones, those remind us of the 12 stones that were worn on the chest of the high priest. These stones represented the whole people of God. What does it mean to you that the city is made up of the most precious materials, most expensive materials we can imagine? What does that mean to you? Yeah. What, what has been some of the most elaborate, most expensive, most magnificent places that you've visited? Well, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of like a, a, a home, the Vatican. What was so special about the Vatican? Okay, the Vatican. Okay, King, King Tut's grave, what you found in there. I was thinking like the Biltmore Estate. And I just read a devotion recently on the Biltmore Estate. Made me, what made me think of it is they talked about how you've got this really fancy estate and then you've got the servant quarters. That's pretty barren. Okay. Now imagine us in the servant quarters and then now we get to live in the estate. That's kind of the imagery. I think of this, you can't visit it obviously, but when Solomon built the temple, yep. it was all gilded with gold, everything's gold. Yeah. Here's the gold, gold. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I was thinking about it today. You guys all know how beautiful First Eban is. Well, now it's decorated for Christmas, it's even more so. Yeah. But again, like Larry said, that's nothing compared to what the temple of Solomon looked like. We just covered this in our eighth grade catechism class that I just try and bring it home to them that uh, every stone that was laid for the foundation was built elsewhere. They didn't use this. There was not a single hammer or saw or sound at the work site. 
Everything was made perfectly offsite, transported and put there. And then once the stones are there, then they had all the wood and they did the wood offsite, but it was all covered with wood paneling. And then all of that wood paneling was covered with gold. And then they carved angels and palm trees and other things into the gold. You know, just imagine a temple that's then just, well, like Sandy said, you know, like the Vatican, everything dripping with gold. That's heaven. Uh, and then the streets are pure gold. And when I read that, I thought of uh, a guy that you know, somehow he, when he died, he was, he was a very wealthy man and he took his, he was able to take his gold to heaven with him. And then you know, one of the angels that greeted him said, why'd you bring paving stones? Right? All the stuff that we think is most precious to us. It's nothing. That's what we're going to be walking on in heaven. And then uh, the last few verses, 23 through 27, the glory of, the, of God and the lamb provide safety and security of the people. The people get to walk about safely in the light of the city, verse 24. The gates won't have to be shut because, uh, as Joyce pointed out, there's no enemies there. Any, and only those whose names are written in the book of life, and we talked about that last chapter, will enter the city. Kings of the nations are going to bring their glory, verse 24, and the glory and honor of the nations, verse 26, nothing that is unclean and no person who does detestable things will ever come in. Any questions on chapter 21? All right, then let's finish up with chapter 22, paradise restored. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, which was as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of the city street and on each side of the river was a tree of life that yielded 12 kinds of fruit. The tree yields its fruit every month and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night or any need for lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who holds on to the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I bowed down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and also with those who hold on to the words of this book. Worship God. The angel also said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because time is near. Let the one who is unjust continue to be unjust. Let the one who is filthy continue to be filthy. Let the one who is just continue to do what is just. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each one according to what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have, their, have the right to the tree of life and so that they may enter through the gates into the city. 
outside of the dogs, that is the sorcerers, the adulterers, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears this say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. I give this warning to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone asks them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are written in this book. The one who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all the saints. Amen. So find as many similarities in this chapter between the New Jerusalem and the Garden of Eden. Okay, and what is that tree? The tree of life. So why is that tree of life from the Garden of Eden so important? Well, they didn't screw up with that tree. Yeah, so they... Yeah, so they, they were not able to eat from the tree of life because they screwed up at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then to protect them, God <laughs> kicked them out of the garden and put an angel there with a flaming sword. So now the imagery is God has taken that tree of life out of Eden and plant, planted, <coughs> excuse me, planted it into the new Jerusalem. What else? What other comparisons? Well, in Eden, there was, there were four rivers that flowed through, through the garden. But now in heaven, what's flowing? The river of the water of life. There's a water of life. And again, going back to the name of our church, one of the things we said was we wanted it to be unique and we're only one of two water of life churches. Okay. Although kind of teasing Pastor Lightning, uh, who preached here last week, and I said, I said, that was a really good sermon. Uh, and next time when you preach, um, you need to call us water of life and not living waters. And I talked to his daughter-in-law about it, and she said, and Tim said the same thing. You could see that he was searching for the name of the church, name of the church. Uh, God had placed a curse on the world because of sin. Yet what about New Jerusalem? Curse is lifted. The trees take away the curse. You eat from the tree. If there was a curse, you'd be able to eat this and then it removes it. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you ladies use essential oils. No, yes. Uh, my, my daughter or my, my wife, uh, you know, she uses those all the time. I call them voodoo. 
<laughs> using their voodoo, but uh, you know, they do work. I'd rather use that than you know, pharmaceutical stuff. But here you won't even need any of that kind of stuff because if you would, would get sick, which you won't, this picture that you eat from this tree and then the fruit, which is uh, being born 12 seasons out of the year. Why is that unique? Jan, you should know this. Well, it's not like things grow. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, it's a miracle in itself. It's just, it's not producing like new fruit just right there. Yeah, because any kind of plant, it needs time, time to rest and recuperate. Just like our bodies need rest, the, the soil needs rest, the plants need rest before they can you know, bear fruit again. You know, I, I planted an orchard in my backyard of uh, three apple trees and two pear trees and three cherry trees. You know, I'm looking for fruit, okay? But that's only gonna come in the fall. This is, it's all year round. And also in the garden, God told Adam and Eve to rule over his creation but they lost that rule because of sin. Now, in the new Jerusalem, we're going to regain the right to reign. So what's similar between the first two chapters of the Bible and now the last two chapters of the Bible? Well, now he's recreating it. But in the beginning... Because chapter three is the fall into sin. So what about the first two chapters? Everything is like perfect and they can just Yeah, everything is everything is perfect. And now the last two chapters of the Bible, everything's perfect. So just think of that symmetry, symmetry like that. Eden and New Jerusalem, uh, that perfection and that perfection. Oh, there you go. Uh, and so... You've got the trees of life, and even though in Eden you had one, now you've got two. So again, think of being here at Water of Life. Think of the painting that we just had up a month ago. Uh, it's over the, the lectern of the, the lamb sitting on his throne, and then you've got the saints behind the lamb, waving their palm branches as they're dressed in their white robes and their golden crowns. And then Flowing out of the, the throne is a river of life. And then Melanie, who painted it, has two trees of life coming over and meeting over the top of the, the river. And then behind that is Jerusalem the Golden. So that imagery that you still see again next October, that's this imagery exactly. That's where we got that imagery. You know, I did... Pastor Pope and I, we did the kind of Bible studies together, figuring out what we wanted to create and just wrote it down and handed it over to her. And it's, it's this. Uh, and then you know, verse 12, Revelation clearly states that eternal life is free. It is inherited. It is an undeserved gift. But Christ will cite what believers have done as evidence of their faith. And he's also going to cite what the unbelievers have done as proof of their lack of faith. That goes back to, we've talked about it before, Matthew 25 of Jesus' parable of separating the sheep and the goats, commending the believers for what they've done. 
and then the you know cursing the unbelievers for what they did not do. This book, like every book of the Bible, has been inspired. So what is God or what does Jesus say about those who add to or subtract from this book? Yeah, they're cursed. Uh, so can you think of teachings that add to or subtract from God's word? Yeah, so telling the priests and nuns you can't marry. Uh, we were just talking about this that uh, my devotion with the school kids today was on the song of Mary. You know, she is, imagine here is this teenage girl. And she's visited by an angel. She doesn't freak out. And then the angel says, you're going to become the mother of the son of God. She doesn't freak out. And says, oh, how can this be? Well, nothing's impossible with God. And then she says, well, may it be so. I am the Lord's servant. What a, what a wonderful faith. So should we, as Christians, venerate Mary? And I chose that word carefully. Should we venerate her? Honor, but we don't worship. We don't worship her. Yeah. Venerate means we honor her. Venerate can mean by other Christians that we worship her, which we don't do. But we should honor her that we want to be like Saint Paul. We want to be like Saint Timothy. He's in the last second last verse of Hebrews chapter thirteen, the podcast to record later on today. Uh, that Timothy's in prison. We want to be like Peter and the apostles and bold in their faith or Abraham or part of the, the podcast says to Hebrews chapter 11. The whole chapter is filled with people whose faith we should emulate. It's a great faith chapter of the Bible. Mary is among those. Right. But when people add to that, because when you add to it, you know, and I have a Catholic catechism downstairs in my office, and it calls Mary the co-redemptrix. So she's a co-redeemer paying for our sins along with Jesus. So you're adding something to the Bible, but what are you doing with Jesus by calling Mary a co-redemptrix? Taking away. Pastor Lightning and I talked about this too in our podcast that, you know, we, we know as Lutherans that you know, penance that the Catholics would tell you, you have to do to make up for your sins of paying money or uh, saying a number of our fathers and Hail Marys to make up for your sins. But we Lutherans, we know that's wrong. But I always talk about Lutheran penance being our guilt. Why, why do, do we as Lutherans have a problem with penance as well, with our guilt? Yeah, we're supposed to give it to Jesus. But what do we do? Because as Lutherans, we know that forgiveness is so easy. Just give it over to Jesus. And so what do we do? We take it back. We take it back. We, we, because 
you have one set of Christians, they'll, they'll do the physical work to try and pay for their sins. We know that's wrong. But we take that emotional work and we put it on ourselves because forgiveness is so easy. And that's our Lutheran penance. And what does that do to Jesus' sacrifice? It cheapens it too. Oh, we're still saved. We're still saved, yes. Because we believe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we're mixed up. We are mixed up. But we, there's a phrase that we learn in seminary, opinio legis, the, the opinion of the law, that we're always going to be trying to save ourselves, do something, add something. And it's just, that's part of who we are. And that comes all the way from Adam and Eve. You know, the very first temptation was don't trust what God says, right? That was the devil's temptation. And I always say, too, the devil is a one-trick pony. He's got one trick, and that is to get us to doubt God. And so anything we add to or subtract from God's word is just putting it on ourselves and lessening God. God says, I will remember your sins no more. Mm -hmm. However, we remember them. Yeah. Even though we've asked for forgiveness, and we know that we're forgiven, we don't forget. Yeah. But, and then, and then the problem is we try and beat ourselves up. And then, you know, like Jamie said, we just got to give it over to God. Yeah, one of the saddest conversations I've ever had was with a, a young mom. And she told me that uh, as she and her husband were going through some marital problems, she said, I committed adultery about 10 years ago. She said, I, I left him, I, I repented of that. But she said, every time I come into church, I ask God to forgive me for that. And oh my goodness. If you were me, what do you tell this young lady? Once is enough. Yeah. That's it. To sum it up, you know, I talk more than that because I'm a pastor, so you got to talk more. But that's it. Is you you gave it over to God one time. And when you gave it to God, it was gone. He remembered your sins no more. He removed them as far as the east is from the west. But that's that Lutheran penance. I got to keep beating myself up. Can you imagine a, a, a young lady, or well, any of us, carrying that burden for 10 years, even though God, Jesus removed it, she's still carrying it around. Isn't that Satan just whispering in your ear? Just um, yeah. Yeah. You really think you're forgiven? Yeah. I can't remember where I heard it, but I, it, it absolutely is the devil uh, whispering in our ear. And there was one Bible study we had several churches ago where the, the word liar came up, and that's that's the devil. Mm -hmm. And I often say, get away from the liar. Yeah. Um, and that gives me comfort as well. But it's um, clearly Jesus has given us forgiveness. And the devil will do everything he can to try and separate us from him. That's it. I don't always remember to do it, but when I do something stupid like I did yesterday, <laughs> and I said I was sorry, um, then I couldn't stop thinking about it all day. And finally, I said, God, please just let me get past this. It's yeah. over with. Yeah. And now I should do it. Yeah. So that's I awesome. About it just now. <laughs> yeah. But that's like Joy said, it's always going to be with us. And that's what's so amazing. God, who knows everything, says, what about our sins? I'm not going to remember them anymore. And yet we do. 
We got to give them over. And that's, that's not just for our own sins, but it's important for us when we tell someone that we forgive them, we have to really forgive them. And then we can't remember them anymore. We can't bring them. And that obviously we remember, we've got to not bring them up and then give those over to God every time too. What's the final encouragement in Revelation? And then even before that is come and take the free gift of the water of life. Again, because we're water of life and we're only one of two who else churches that are water of life. That's special. So what is the water of life? When we invite people to come to water of life, Lutheran church, what are we inviting them to? No Jesus. No Jesus. He is the water of life. Now, because I think sometimes we get caught up in inviting them because we got, uh, we got a nice, nice sanctuaries at both places. We actually have brass at one place uh, that I, I, I've tried. I'm, I'm really working on bribing any pastors on our call list. I've, I've taken pictures of her, of this room. Say we have real coffee, <laughs> not, not the big five gallon burned coffee. Okay. Burned water. Uh, yeah. It, you know, we think of our programs that we have in our school and high school and all, and those things are nice. But it's like Tim said, we just need to give them Jesus. Give them Jesus, his word, his sacraments, his grace, mercy, and forgiveness. That's the water of life. That's so refreshing to people who are parched in this world. Uh, all right, and... Yeah, to all, to all the words of this book, we also say, amen. The words are faithful and true, and they are sure to come to pass. We pray, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Before I ask the last question, are there any questions on this chapter from you? So what is the final theme of the whole book of Revelation? You've said it before. Sandy? The Lord wins. Yeah, the Lord wins. And therefore, if the Lord wins, who wins? We do. So a story I, I've, I've heard and I've told before with Revelation 2 is, you know, someone uh, walks by a janitor who's on his break and he's got his Bible on, he's reading Revelation. And the guy asks, do you even understand that? And the janitor says, yeah, I understand Revelation. Jesus wins. Okay, that's the key. That's the theme. And so even though Revelation can be scary, and like Larry said, we could go over Revelation again in, in January because we because it's so hard to remember all of this stuff. I mean, I've done it five times in the last couple of months, and I still forget all this stuff. Is that that's the theme? Is when you read it, uh, have that comfort. These are scripture passages too. I read chapter 22. Uh, or chapter 21 as a portion of Arlene's funeral last week of that water of life. And Kelly said, uh, and if you were here for the funeral, uh, the reason I gave such a description before I did the epistle lesson, she said, uh, you know, Arlene didn't really understand Revelation. She was kind of scared of it. And this is hard stuff. So please explain it to people. So I did. And it is such a comfort. And hopefully it's more comforting now that you know some of this imagery. But Ultimately, then just understand Jesus wins and therefore we win.
And the last thing is we're going to be taking a few weeks off and then we'll start, I think it's January 7th will be the first Friday of January. And then we're going to be studying the book of Romans. So hopefully we'll see you all for that. Jerusalem.